All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. We have a very special episode tonight in that we are talking to some of our neighbors, our local restaurateurs and from our favorite eateries. And they're going to talk about some of the struggles and some of the ripple effects that caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. So at first, this was a show that I, I'm super uh, excited about because through all of this, we've talked about our healthcare workers, we've talked about our first responders, but in all actuality, in order for us to be able to, to function the way we need to, we need to eat. We need to eat. When we're stuck in the house and everybody's feeling blue, what do you do? You eat. You find, you go, you get your favorite food, and you try to find that sense of normalcy that you get from your comfort foods. So without further ado, let me bring on our first guest tonight, Neil Levine. Neil is one of the owners from mcguire's bar and grill easton neil how you doing i'm doing excellent dean i'm really excited to be here with you tonight and chat with uh, my colleagues frank and the other the other fellows about what we're dealing with in, in the restaurant industry because this is just an unprecedented time in the history of our country and uh to kind of give perspective of what we're going through so pumped to be here and, and, and we're doing good well we're excited to have you neil can you tell us a little bit about yourself how, how long have you been in the industry and well, I'm 56. I started when I was about 12 years old, you know, washing dishes and busting tables. And uh, we've been at McGuire's um, since 1993, June 6th of 1993. So almost 30 years that we've been in business there. Um, I've done just about every kind of job there is in the restaurant business, whether it's, you know, cooking, washing dishes, waiting tables, managing, bartending, hosting, a um, little bit of everything. So big, big background in, in what we do. Outstanding. We're, we're, we're glad that you were able to take time away from your business and your family to be here and shed a little light on what you're going through. Thanks, buddy. All right. So the next guest is none other than Stoughton's own Joseph Deagle of the <laughs> local diner. Joe, how you doing? Good, Dean. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, it's going to be great as well to be able to chat with uh, the other guests that are here tonight, see what kind of struggles they're going in, best practices of what they're doing to survive in these times. Um, it's it's definitely, uh, if you don't adapt and you don't change, you're not going to succeed right now. Tell us a little bit about what you're going through and what your day-to-day -day is like. Um, well, with day-to-day, -day, we have changed uh, our, our, basically our, our structure has now switched from dine-in to more takeout. Um, you know, our the dine-in has flipped to, probably about 40% of my sales and takeout is about 60% of my sales now, uh, where it was almost 30% takeout before and 70% uh, dine-in. And with the amount of um, people, you know, with limited seating and limited um, seats and tables inside, um, I wasn't able to do the uh, outdoor seating during the summer. Uh, I would have had to close down half my parking lot, which would have taken away my takeout window. So um, being able to adapt and change and do takeout and really push that out through social media and uh, installing a takeout window, that has really helped us out big time. Um, and that's all the changes that we've made so far. All right. That, sound, that sounds like you're adapting as best you can. Let me get Frank on. So our final panelist is none other than Frank Brack. Frank, how you doing? Good, buddy. How are you? All right, so Frank is representing his establishment, Frank uh, Brax Grill and Tap. So Frank, tell us a little bit about your business. How long have you been there? And uh, how, how's it been going for you, bud? Well, we, we opened um, 
back in April of uh, 2019. So we were open about 10 months when um, when the whole COVID hit. So, ten months. It was a little scary. I'll tell you that. I was going to say ten months, and and how were things going before the before the uh, pandemic hit? Well, to be honest, things were going pretty well. Uh, you know, the location's good. The guys did a great job with the, with the inside of the building. Um, yeah, I was feeling really good about things uh, right up until March 16th hit. So that, that things went, went sideways fast for us, you know? Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. So what I'm going to start with is I'm going to start with a video that I think um, it kind of grabbed my attention. And, and this video actually is what, what's, what made me decide that this show needed to happen. So it's about a uh, business owner and the desperation he's feeling trying to take care of his staff, balance the new, uh, all the new orders that keep, keep, seem to be rolling in, and deal with the uh, local authorities that are in charge of making sure those orders are followed. So stand by on this. It's a health issue, and I can't operate anymore, man. 
Desperate. Desperate. I can't pay my bills. I'm gonna look at my kids and say, guys, it's a matter of time before we start again. Right? There's nothing we can do. We're all in this together. We'll just all start to death and die. You guys all got a paycheck, right? City budget passed, everyone's got their paychecks. She doesn't. My cook doesn't. My head chef just had a all right. That's a tough video to watch. Frank, I'm going to go to you first on this. Any of that resonate with you? Some of the difficulties that you've had as a new restaurant? Well, I wasn't able to see the video, unfortunately, but um, it didn't show up on my on my feed. But I mean, I, all right. So let I, me let me break it down for you. That was a video of a restaurant owner that uh, was being hit hard with the restrictions by his municip his municipality, his local um, board of health. And he blocked in the Board of Health inspector with his truck out of frustration because they were restricting his business and would not was not allowing him to operate the way he needed to operate. So have you had any issues like that as far as being restricted and, and, and maybe being at odds with your Board of Health at all? Well, you know, we haven't been at odds with the uh, Board of Health so much. Um, I did have one issue with the, um, with the Alcoholic Beverage Commission, who seems to be spearheading the... Um, Things like the curfew, that uh, they seem to be the enforcement end of um, of the way the state's um, handling that the, the curfew. So, um, can you tell us a little bit about what happened? There? I'm sorry, what's that? Tell us a little bit what happened with there as far as that curfew um, issue. Yeah. Um, the curfew was laid down, I believe, the 9th or 10th of November. Um, I had an ABC agent come in uh, on the 19th of November. Um, now the curfew was supposed to have everyone out by 10. Uh, I had guests in the uh, building at 10.15 when he showed up. Um, although the front doors were locked, the lights were up, I still had guests in the building, which was a violation. Uh, I had a total of eight guests, so to be exact. Um, so yeah, that broke the, that, that was a violation of the curfew. And um, I had a hearing like as is typical, I, I guess for this. Um, and then yeah, they suspended my liquor license for eight days for it. Eight days. Yeah. Yep. Wow. That that that's a tough. That's a real tough hit. I'm gonna bring. I'm sorry. It did seem excessive to me. Um, but you know, that's yep. Yeah, that's that that's their call, not mine. Understood. Neil. Yes, sir. What say you? Have you had any experiences like that? I know. I know that you do serve uh, alcohol at your establishment. I haven't had any experiences like that with, with the ABCC. Um, all, all the governing authorities have been local um, through the pandemic. So the Board of Health, you know, building inspector, fire inspector, police department, stuff like that. And, and they've been nothing but fantastic with us. Um, the Board of Health, they, they act like a business partner more than an adversary. Um, if there's questions on how to handle certain protocols, you know, they're just a phone call away. They reach out to us all the time. I'm on the phone with them at least once a week. You know, I have some of that, you know, I have an employee that was exposed to COVID. What do I do? You know, how, how long do they have to quarantine? And, this, you know, they give me the spreadsheets. They give me the protocols. Um, they, they couldn't be more helpful. The town government's been fantastic. When Governor Baker gave us the outside dining thing, I had a permit for outside dining within three days of the legislation being signed. I mean, for, for a local municipality to turn around legislation and, and, and cover their bases with insurance and liability and have a, a functioning facility happen three days after a law is passed. It's unheard of in the state of Massachusetts. They're just bending over backwards to do everything they possibly can to make 
to make us uh, viable and to be able to help us survive to get through this. I think uh, the feeling that I get from local towns is they want to do everything they can to make sure that we all get through this. So when we do get through it, there'll be, you know, there'll be businesses in town that can survive and, and, and facilitate a tax base. That's a, that's a fair point. Um, it, it would stand to reason that your local municipalities would want to work with you and, 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 and help you through this for that very reason, because if you're gone, obviously that means that the tax base is gone. So it's a, uh, it's definitely, you know, a, a win, it should be a win-win proposition to keep you around. Joe, how about you? What have your experiences been with as far as, you know, uh, with the, the, the Board of Health authorities and, and all uh, the restrictions? Everything's been really positive. Uh, as Neil touched on, we, I, I stay in close contact with them. If I have a question, I call them. Uh, Sean and Larry over at the Board of Health in Stone are amazing. Every time something came up or if I had a question, especially in the beginning about uh, mask use, um, people wearing masks for the kitchen staff, they answer my questions so quickly. You know, as long as you get in front of it and talk to them, I feel like it's it's better to ask for permission rather than beg for forgiveness at some times. Um, the local authorities have been great with us. I didn't go for the outdoor seating because at the time I didn't really have any spots that were going to be good to put outdoor seating. I would have had to take down one side of my parking lot, which would have limited my takeout window. So I saw a better return on investment on my takeout window rather than outdoor seating. Yep, fair enough. So let me ask you this. What changes, what, what are the biggest three changes or, or things that kind of popped out of nowhere that you've seen? during this pandemic that, you know, maybe like an unexpected expense or something like that, that you weren't expecting from the beginning. So uh, I'll go to you first, Neil. The PPP equipment, the PPE equipment, the, the mask, the sanitizer, the rubber gloves. I mean, uh, we're, we're spending $80 a case for, you know, a case of rubber gloves. we're going through a case a day, um, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars of takeout containers. Uh, all the single-use condiments, you know, we don't have bottles of ketchup anymore. Everything's a packet or it's prepackaged so that the customer isn't touching anything that has to be sanitized and given to another customer. Those are expenses that are here. I think those are expenses that are here to stay. A lot of the stuff that you're seeing in the pandemic, I think will carry on past the pandemic. I mean, I don't think I'll ever put another bottle of ketchup on a table again. Uh, it's all going to be single-use disposable. So I think there's some positive stuff. That's coming out of this. It's going to cost us more in the long run, but I think we're going to have cleaner, healthier, sanitized restaurants. If you look at the data that's out there, disease is not transmitted in restaurants, and we are one of the safest, best places because we're trained in sanitation, we're trained in cleanliness, and we're keeping our place clean and sanitized all the time. And I think you'll see a lot of these innovations that have come out during the pandemic carry through past um when things do return to whatever that normal looks like it, it, it's more expensive we're going to be paying more for stuff you're going to be paying more for food but i think best practices are going to continue on long past this so there's a lot of changes for good that i think are going to take place all right frank same question what are three things that kind of came out of nowhere and this is might be a loaded question for you because again you were only 10 months in i and and again i've known you for quite some time and i know that you ran other restaurants but it's a whole different thing when the crown's all on your head no <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, the, the crown is heavy. Yep, for sure. <laughs> My first time as an owner. Yeah, but um, yeah, you know what? Um, you know what Neil said was right on 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 some of the points. As far as I'm concerned, there's a, a since the takeout segment exploded, there's so much to do when it comes to paper products and executing takeout correctly. Um, because you know there's so many options now. Everyone's doing takeout, 
So you really got to um, like focus on that. And you can't just skimp anymore and, and have a cheap takeout um, container. So that, that's one expense that we really went all in on was like quality takeout food and service, you know. Um, I mean, I built a patio kind of on the fly. And I, I'll give uh, kudos to the city of Brockton. As much as I had a problem with the state, the, it, it was exactly the opposite. They have done everything they could to facilitate us in every, almost every way. And even the mayor himself, um, when I was working to get my permits for my outside patio, at one point he just said, open up the patio. And the, and Bob, the gentleman from the Board of Health, came down. He said, open it up. We'll worry about the permits afterwards. And boom. you know. What? So couldn't say enough positive about that. Um, what else? Yeah, I mean, the uh, the cleaning supplies are overwhelming. The gloves and the masks and the, uh, the, the wipes and all that. So. That's been, uh, you know, that's a big expense. The plexiglass uh, that quadrupled in um, in price, so not surprisingly. But yeah, those are just some of the challenges I see. Well, fair, fair enough. So another challenge, and this is one that I think a lot of people at home that are watching uh, probably anticipate that you have is how are you balancing your staff's hours? Because uh, you know, with the reduced hours, again, like I, 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 the bars, you have to be closed at what, like nine. You can't have anybody in. So how are you? How well, are you the, the, handling that? that restriction. Well, I'm sorry. What's that, Frank? That was a huge challenge. You know, what? I mean, depending depending on how far you want to go back, when we they converted us to only takeout, we laid off everyone. Unfortunately, then we hired them back piece by piece as the business um, came back slowly. You know. Um, and then when they released the bar, actually, the, the outside patio, the, the, the summer was, was pretty solid they, um, with the outside dining. And then as the fall came on, things actually slowed down. And, yeah, it, it's, been, it's been a battle with the staff because no one seems to know if they should go on unemployment, you know, like, um, and they're not making the money that they made before. So it, it, it's, everyone's kind of in a catch-22 with that. Especially I, I hear you because if there's one area that 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 is, completely... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I said I hear you. I hear you. Go. go <laughs> you can finish up with the waiters real oh, quick. Yeah, go ahead. Just gonna say, to, to finish up the um, my, my servers are struggling the most because the one area that is completely dropped off for us is dining. The, the bar guests are still there. The takeout guests are still there. The dining guests have um, really. I, I probably lost 75 percent of my dining guests. Wow. So I'm going to jump, I'm going to bounce over to Joe on this one. So Joe. Yes. How are you handling Now Your business model is a little different than um, Frank's and Neil's in that you are more of a, like a breakfast lunch um, model. So, yeah. So breakfast and lunch, um, breakfast and lunch during the, during the week, my breakfast is um, a little bit slower than the weekends, of course. So my, my lunch is busier during the week. Breakfast during the weekend is much busier. Um, in the beginning, when we closed down for takeout only, you know, I went down to two full-time staff for the front of the house and two full-time staff in the back of the house. We did that for several weeks and we, good enough, we had a great following for takeout already. So that just grew. When we opened back up with the limited seating, the distance, uh, distance in the seating, um, we had very limited seats. My part-time staff did not come back only my full-time staff did so as the time went on and we we grew a little bit um 
my regulars, I have a great following of regulars that come in Monday through, I mean, Tuesday through Friday, that are same people, same time, come in, huge supporters of DEEGS, which has been awesome. Um, my takeout has doubled in uh, business over the course of the last few months. Um, takeout is really carrying us at the moment. But the problem with that is the profitability is down. Your take, my takeout's going up, but I'm making less money. The, the cost of boxes, the cost of takeout containers, the cost of gloves, uh, the cost of all the little condiments. They have been price gouging us on that for the last few months. And those companies are making money, but we're losing money in the long run. Uh, that, that is, that's, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised. I mean, everybody's in business to make money. And, and let's face it, I mean, if, you're, if your business is profitable, for the most part, a lot of people, they adopt some, some form of predatory Yes, of, of of marketing, you know, like like for example, if everybody went on breakfast sandwich kicks, I'm yeah. sure that you'd probably raise the price of your breakfast sandwiches if and, that's what yeah. everybody was looking for. Of course, and then you're gonna take that in, you're gonna make it, but the the extreme that it has gone to, I mean, gloves went up 500. percent That that's that's a huge markup. You, you know, when you're going from 30 dollars to 150 dollars during the peak of COVID, you know that that's that's ridiculous. Um, but overall, you know, I. I'm staying pretty flat with my sales across the board. Uh, we have a great following. We have a great reputation. Uh, my staff is really what helps carry me. Um, you know, the the attitude of the girls being out front and what they have, the service that they have given during the, these times, even with a mask where you can't have this great connection with your guest and your server because, you know, you, you're missing that social connect with a smile, with a little gesture. You're missing that. So, to get that a point across with my servers, getting that point across to the to the guests at the table, it's huge. I thank them every day for people that are coming back in because of what they're doing out front for me. Uh, uh, well put. Well put. I'm going to bring Neil on real quick because we have a question from the chat. Neil, yes. so here is the question. Let me go ahead and throw it up on the screen here. It's a comment wrapped, wrapped in a question. So... Dwayne says it's great that Baker has allowed, has not allowed forty, has now allowed forty percent vacancy, but now it appears big government is looking to make the minimum wage fifteen dollars per hour in the midst of a pandemic. What challenges, in addition to COVID restrictions, are going to have on your business? The ones that you have. So, I, if I read the question and understand it, how does the fifteen dollar per hour minimum wage affect us? Is that yeah. What other challenges is, uh, is COVID putting on your business? Well, COVID's put a huge challenge on our business. The, the minimum wage hike in Massachusetts is going up to $15. It's been going up every year for the past several years. It's at $13.50 an hour right now. Um, there isn't anybody in my business that makes $13.50 an hour. Everyone that works there makes a, it makes a living wage um, greater than that. And, you know, when this happens back on March 15th was when the governor announced the restaurant shutdown and we can only open for takeout. Uh, we made a commitment to our staff. We said, we're not going to lay anybody off. If I have 10 hours and 10 employees, you'll each get an hour. Um, so we've got 44 people and everyone's working, um, you know, the, the kitchen's busy, but, but the pandemic, the challenges are, you know, you've been cruising along with this business model for us, it's been 30 years and all of a sudden your business model changes and you have to reinvent yourself and you just can't like turn on a dime, but we have to turn on a dime if we want to survive. So you reinvent your entire business model. You know, we were a sit down restaurant that did, you know, 90% dining and 10% takeout. Then we become a takeout restaurant completely. 
And we're not designed for that. So, okay, we're going to do takeout. We start doing takeout, and that's great. And then the governor says, okay, now you can open up outside. So now we're going to say, figure out, okay, how are we going to do takeout, which is the majority of what we're doing, and a little bit of dining. So you kind of change the business model again. And how, and then they say, okay, we're going to give you a little bit of insight. Then you change your business model again. And then they take away some of your, your, your dining. When they, when they cut back on your capacity. They cut back on your hours. So we're constantly changing and adapting to every possible situation. Now, the restaurant business typically runs at a, at a 4 to 6% profit margin on sales. So for every dollar that you sell, you make 4 to $0.06 cents per dollar. That's in a perfect world when you have 100% capacity, 100% operating hours, you're selling booze, you're selling food, you're selling all the additions, that type of stuff. You take that away, the profit margin disappears. So we, knew how, we know how to make 4 to $0.06 cents on a dollar. We've been doing it for 30 years. That's how we operate. Now it's like we got to learn it all over again. And as soon as we figure out how to operate and how to get the food out in a timely manner, they change the rules on us. And then we have to sit back and we have to figure it all out again. How are we going to make this work and how are we going to cover our costs and how are we going to pay for the takeout containers and how are we going to pay the extra money that we have to pay in wages for all the people who have to wipe the tables down more than we used to. It's, it's a constant adapting. It's a constant changing. You can face any problem with proper planning, but it's, it's hard to be able to plan and turn on a dime. And that's the biggest challenge, I think, of this whole pandemic is how we constantly have to adapt with every headline, with every decree and with every order. That's again. That's that's what we're trying to do here. Is because I wouldn't have thought of all of that. You know, like you know, you, you great explanation of what your profit profit margins are, how much you're looking to make per dollar. So, Frank, your turn to be on the hot seat here. Same question for you. I'll go ahead and I'll throw that back on the screen. Thank you, Neil, for that. So, what are some of the challenges that you're facing with the impending raise in uh, in your minimum wages and? And, and uh, other COVID restrictions, Frank. All right. So Frank might be having some technical difficulties. Let me go to Joe. It's the constant. All right. So, so Joe, same question for you. So my staff all makes over minimum wage at the moment. So like Neil was saying, um, you know, keep care, take care of your staff and your staff will take care of you. Um, the biggest thing that I'm worried about right now is there's some, there's a there's a stimulus in the there's a tax bill in the stimulus package that could come out that could ruin all small restaurants mm -hmm. right now. There's two different there's two different pay wages for uh, employees in Massachusetts. There's a there's a tipped minimum wage and there's a regular minimum wage. So tipped employees make a far substantial less minimum wage than a regular uh, employee. They want to get rid of that tip tax uh, credit that goes to the employer. So servers would be making $15 an hour. So I would have to pick up that fee. And right now they only make about $5.50 an hour plus tips. And that's the way that it's been for a long time. Um, but they make more than minimum wage when, they, when you factor in the tips that they make all day. Um, what they want to do is take away the, the tip tax credit and put that back on the employer. So everybody in the business would be making $15 an hour, and that would really have to change our business model. Is it sustainable for you? No. Not at all. I've been thinking about it. it I wouldn't be able to, at my prices, I would have to raise every plate 3 to $5 per plate. An egg dish, an egg sandwich would have to go up a few dollars just to be able to, to cover the cost of having two to three servers on the floor to make sure we're giving that service to the customers that are coming in. 
if that happens, you're going to see a lot of places going to order at the counter, sit down, get a number, and they'll call your name. A lot of places are going to have to change the way that they do business, or it's going to be very substantial in the cost that we're going to have to put back on the customer that comes in to be able to uh, make sure that we don't have to cover all those costs and hurt our profitability. That is mind-blowing. It really is. Yeah. So that just came out in the new stimulus package that I've been watching over the past month, actually past three weeks or so, to make sure if that changes, it's really going to hurt a lot of our small businesses. Wow. So let me bring Frank in. Frank seems like he wants to jump in here. Frank. Yes. Frank, you there? All right. I'm here, yeah. All right. Wanna, do you want to do you want to jump in on that? It's, I can tell that you were chomping at the bit in the uh, in the background there. So go ahead. Yeah. Well, what Joe just said is, yeah, you know, that would be a death blow for servers, for wait for waiters and waitresses. It'll be um because it'll turn into kiosks and they'll all be gone. There'll be no such thing as a waiter or waitress anymore. Um, I, I've looked at that business model when we were looking at the uh, at, to open the restaurant. Like we only opened less than two years ago. Um, with that in mind, I mean, I'm old school. I, I, I think the waiter waitress interaction is key. But again, if you're going to force me to pay them $15 an hour and take away their tips, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to have six waitresses on or you know, waiters or servers. You know, what I mean, you just have a kiosk at the table and someone punches it in and a, and a drink runner runs the drinks and the food runner runs the food and that interaction goes away. So. I don't think the, uh, that that was thought through by someone who really understands the restaurant industry. Uh, that that's that's, that's well, that's a good point. And speaking of challenges, and speaking of adapting with the times, uh, we're about the midway point here. So typically, what I do is I show another video at the midway point. Um, Frank, I don't know if you'll be able to see this, but maybe you'll be able to hear it, and you can just get the gist of what this restaurant owner has to say. New at 11, a Barton's restaurant owner shares her business struggles in this coronavirus crisis. A concern shared by countless owners in what's become South Florida's new normal. WPTV News Channel 5's Todd Wilson spoke with her as she deals with drastic decisions in a time of transition for everyone. Other than takeout only. Michelle Lefkowitz explains to customers the new rules bars and restaurants must follow in Florida. It's always been a dream for the Ohio-born couple to run their own restaurant but things are turning into a nightmare because of COVID-19. I was in tears this morning before I ever got out of bed, thinking about the fact that we had to come in here today and lay off 95, 92% of our employees. At first, Governor DeSantis ordered every restaurant to limit its occupancy to 50%. Then Friday, DeSantis announced all bars and restaurants must stop selling food and alcohol for on-site consumption until further notice. Coming together with an action plan on Monday for what this week was going to look like was really challenging. And you take things like your growth plan and your um, your future and you take that and you put it on hold. Lefkowitz says on a Friday like tonight, they'll make 75% less than they normally would. What will sustain them is locals like Jason Williams. He's surprised at the new reality. This early, yes, especially in Palm Beach County. I mean, there's so much to do. And to close these places like they are, it's, it's way too early. Lefkowitz says in order for Salou Market to make that money back, they must adapt. We've been researching and implementing online ordering, online credit card processing, delivery, logistics, and systems. 
Lefkowitz told me that they're actually thinking about bringing on delivery drivers, but that brings on an added cost of its own in the sense of seven dollars to $10,000 to insure just one driver for a year. And when it comes to delivery services, well, she said they can take up to 35% in some cases of a restaurant's profits. In Palm Beach County, Todd Wilson, WPTV News Channel 5. All right. So, Neil, I'm going to bring you on to talk about, A, your reflections on that video and, and your thoughts on it, and, B, we have a perfect question to roll right into that I will put up on the screen. So the first part is, it says, what has the impact of delivery services such as DoorDash and what have you had on your respective business and your revenue? All right. You want me to take the video first and the delivery question second? Please. All right, so the video speaks to what we're all going through as an industry, um, constantly having a plan. I mean, on March 15th, the governor comes up with his edict that restaurants are going to have to shut down. and You've got to hit the ground running. The good thing about, in my opinion, about what's, what's happened in the state is Governor Baker was a healthcare guy, and he was very data-driven. So we were following the data from across the world and what was happening in other cities and towns and countries, and we were planning for a shutdown. We knew it was coming. We started to change our business model. Happened about two weeks earlier than we thought it would, but he's been pretty much, everything he's done has been predictable from day one up until about midway through the pandemic where he became less science-based and more economy-based. So we're constantly trying to adapt, constantly trying to change. And I feel the pain of that that restaurant owner in that video because I know we are all going through the same thing and struggling just to keep our doors open. Um, as far as delivery services go, my staff is trained to handle my food. It's like a family. They know how to package it. They know how to keep it fresh. They know how to keep it. They know how to keep the quality there. And we're a big company about quality. I have a big problem taking a quality product putting it in someone else's hands that I don't employ and let them take that food to the customer. Because I don't know what's going to happen between when that food leaves my door and when it gets to the customer. And I've heard horror stories of of, of other companies uh, that I'm not going to name, but that the quality isn't what happened when it walked out the door. And I don't trust my product to anybody that I haven't had the ability to instill in them the values that we carry and that we want to see our customers um, have the, the, the quality food, the quality, all that kind of stuff. So we, we toyed with a little bit of delivery in the beginning when we were doing just takeout. Um, the costs were just prohibitive. I have a delivery driver on, we'd run all over town. It, it just didn't make sense from a, for us. So we stopped doing it, but I, I want to stay away from all those delivery services. Besides the fees they take out, it's like there's a middleman. You know, if you want to keep your money local, spend it at the restaurant, go pick up the takeout, you know, do a curbside pickup or do companies that have their own delivery services. I, for us, it just, I just have a hard time with, with the love and the passion that we put into our food, giving it to someone else who doesn't have that same love and passion for the product that we serve the customers. It makes perfect sense. I mean, to them, what's the difference? They're just delivering a package. You know? Yeah, ex exactly. All right. Well, uh, Joe Joe wants in on this. Let's get Joe back up on, on screen. Great answers, Neil. Thanks. All right. Joe? All right, man. Floor is yours. I can, I can hear you in the back. So it's, it's, <laughs> so it's, it's 
the same thing that Neil was saying. Um, we always watching what was going on on the other on the West Coast, seeing what is going to happen with the shutdowns, and I was pretty predictable on what was going to happen here, and we stayed ahead of it. Um, I do I do Uber Eats, and I had to do it, and I stayed on top of it. The biggest thing is to make sure that we pack it properly. We put the food in hot. Everything's there. My girls do a great job making sure everything's in the box, everything's in the package, condiments, everything's there. I, out of the thousands of orders that have gone out, I'll, I'll say there's less than a handful that we've had complaints on. Um, if I wasn't doing Uber at the moment, it would probably, if I wasn't doing Uber in the beginning of the shutdown, I probably wouldn't have been able to stay open as long as I did. Um, you know, even at the 30%, it still is profitable. It still gets my name out there. It still helps the business. Um, I looked at getting my own drivers in, but five to $7,000 to have a delivery driver, it's almost an extra $500 per month on insurance for one delivery driver. So that's only one driver that can deliver one delivery per hour or whatever ever may be. And then if you have no drivers, if you have no deliveries, they're sitting in there and I'm paying for that hourly employee just to sit there. So it doesn't make sense. The the 30% that we pay to Uber, yes, I, it, it's tough to swallow sometimes, but I have people that come in that say, hey, I was at the office during the week. I got Uber delivery. It was so good that I knew I had to come in because it would be that much better. So as long as it drives a little bit of my sales, I see a good return on investment on it. Um, you know, in the beginning, it was hard to work with, but it's it definitely drives some of my business. Uh, I've been approached by other uh, companies to try to expand my delivery, but I don't want to do it. One is enough, and as long as I get return of people that's, coming back in, and that's, then it's and that's worth the it. beauty of having different restaurateurs on here because your experience is clearly very different than Neil's. So, with that in mind, let's see yes. what Frank has to say as far as his experiences. So, Frank. What is your response to that video? I don't know if you were able to hear it. And if not, just talk about what your experiences as far as um, delivery services. I'll put it up on the screen for you. So what are the impact of delivery services and how it's been on your respective businesses and your revenue? Yes. Frank, you got me? Well, All right. When we were doing, there it is. When we were doing takeout only, I um, at the time I had Grubhub at DoorDash and Grubhub, and I I actually had my sons do a delivery when we were just um. Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. So we were doing delivery, and uh. Hello. All right, Frank. Sorry, so, bud. Can you hear me? All right. So Frank's having technical difficulties there. We're going to have to come back to him somehow. All right. So, Neil, we have a question for you. Good. So how long can your restaurant continue to go on not being able to work at 100% capacity? <laughs> how much money do I have in the bank to support this? So we're not making any money. We haven't been making money since March 15th. This is a losing proposition, and it's not about making money right now. Right now, it's about keeping our staff employed, keeping our name out there, and being viable when it gets when it, when we get through this. 
Um, we could have shut down on March 15th and had the same amount of money in the bank as we have today. Um, so how long can we continue? Uh, hopefully we can break even at, at best. How long can we continue under these restrictions? I didn't see myself at 56 um, after being in the business my entire life since I was 12 years old and being open for 30 years as a restaurant in this position, um, struggling to survive and, and hang on. Um, we are fighters. And we will continue for however long it takes. I made a commitment to my, myself and my partners, I should say, made a commitment to our employees that we're going to keep them working. We're going to protect their jobs. We're going to protect their way of life. We're going to fight with everything we have to protect what we have built over the past 30 years. So how long can we stay open? However long it takes. That's, uh, yeah. That, it, it sounds like an absolute nightmare. You know, like, again, here you are. 56 isn't old. But it's 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 tough to it, it would be tough to start over at fifty six years old. So um, yeah, I, I I I certainly there's no alternative, team. There's there's no alternative. You, you this we're protecting America. We're not just protecting the restaurant business. This is you know this is our country, and you know we've got to be there for people, and we've got to show support for people. We've got to let people know we got their back, and that's what this is about. And that's why that's why local people need to come out and spend money at Diggs or at Frank's Place or. Or at McGuire's or whatever the, whatever your favorite restaurant is. I went to Mario's to tonight and got takeout over in Easton because he has a great salad and a great pizza. Um, we've got to be there for each other and help each other out to get through this. That's what this is about. Joe, I'm going to bounce to you. How much longer is this going to be sustainable for you? It's, um, you know, sales are down 28%. But I'm controlling the controllables that I can't. You know, the, it's the only thing that you can control is what you're purchasing, what you're spending. The, all the other stuff is out of my control. I can't control the rent. The rent's going to be the same every month. You know, it, as long as everything that I keep on saying to my staff is if I can pay my bills at home, I can pay my bills at the restaurant, and the girls are making money while they're serving out there, then we're going to keep on going because that's all that matters. The whole time that even when we were closed, my dishwasher, my my two full time cooks, I kept on the payroll and I was still paying them while we were closed because I didn't want them to go on unemployment. I didn't want them to look for other jobs. And it was it was about six weeks while I did catering by myself and my business partner. She was delivering all the catering every day for me. I, I had a corporate catering with Harbor One for the for eight weeks while we were shut down. 70 box lunches per day, Monday through Friday, and that kept me afloat. And I did it by myself, but I was also paying my some of my staff to be home. Because when I opened the doors back up, they came running back in. So they were there for me knowing that I took care of them. Um, the only people that didn't come back were my part-timers because we just couldn't afford it at the time. Um, my business keeps on growing. I keep on doing the right thing. I take care of my staff and they take care of me. Um, you know, we've only been open for three years, but you know, we're a pretty tight family there. Um, you know, People like Neil, I can learn from him and understanding what he's seeing and how he takes care of his staff and what he does to his restaurant. I mean, he has a great reputation. The place is packed all the time because you do the right thing. People support you. You know, if you keep on trying to gouge people, you keep on raising your prices, keep on doing, you know, keep on doing people wrong. Eventually, you're not going to you're going to be closing your doors. Um, my biggest thing is I adapt and I change. If I have to do delivery services, I'll do delivery services. I put a takeout. I took put a takeout window in to compete with Panera across the street because they did curbside pickup. So I put a takeout window in. I have online ordering, so people can order online, pull up, grab their bag, and go back to 
go back to lunch within seven minutes. So it's a pretty quick, it's a pretty quick turnaround. Uh, during lunch, we're cranking and takeout is like Neil knows, takeout's hard. It's a lot of work. And on the kitchen staff and on the staff in the front of the house, packing those boxes, writing on the boxes, putting all the condiments in there, as well in the kitchen, putting everything in the box, packing it up. It's a lot harder to box up takeout than it is somebody sitting there. It's, so it's, while yeah. you're there, Joe, I, I just want to go to Neil on that same po point. Neil, are you also finding that those same challenges with the takeout where it's more labor intensive? Because so, it seems to be like there's so many more hands have to have to be involved with the takeout. It's labor intensive, and and we have such a tiny, tiny kitchen. So to have a restaurant that does both takeout and dine-in is very, very difficult because you're executing two different two different things. And in a small space that's designed to do one, you've kind of got to kind of pick and choose your battles of which way you're going. So our business is almost 75% takeout with 25% dining, where it used to be 90% dining and 10% takeout. So we're really focused on executing a takeout model. Now, we could spend money and redesign our kitchen and make it a takeout restaurant, but who knows what's going to be in a few months. So we've left it set up as a dining restaurant that we're trying to execute takeout in. It's like it's not the perfect animal. No. Executing as hard as we possibly can. It, it, our kitchen on a Friday or a Saturday night is absolute insanity. We used to do four to six hundred meals a day. Now we're doing eight to eight hundred to a thousand. It's absolute crazy. There's a there's a ticket printer like the little Duke printer that they have in the kitchen. It goes off like a machine gun. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> the kitchen, like ah, and there's paper. And, you know, someone's like, hey, where's my order? I'm like, you know, I don't know where your order is. What's your name? What's your phone number? You know, you told me two hours. It's two hours and ten minutes. I'm like, I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> it's crazy. It's absolute crazy. The challenges are just it's it's unbelievable. And we've been doing this for almost a year now. I'm like, I'm standing out in front of my restaurant every day like a sentinel. And, and, and we're, we're, you know, you can't come in here. You've got to go here. You've got to put your mask on. I've got 25 people here. I can't have 26. And it's just <laughs> sanitize that. Hey, wait a second. Don't give that customer that menu card because it hasn't been wiped down properly. And, you know, did you sweep under this table? It's like, it's insanity. It's absolute insanity what we're going through. But you have no choice. This is what you got to do. Yep. So, so we got Frank back. Frank, let's see. Let's see if we can get you involved here. What are some of the challenges? You talked a little bit about, about the expense of upgrading your takeout program, whereas you had to get better packages. And and uh, and I know you do, you know, like you you package burgers in such a way so, you know, they don't they don't bleed through the bun and all that stuff. So you're not getting a soggy bun. So talk about some of the challenges and how it's really changed your model, having to have so many more hands involved in your takeout process than if you are just serving somebody in a restaurant. Sure. I'm pulling for you here, Frank. Come on, brother. All right. Go ahead. Nope. You got me at all? I'm sorry, brother. It just doesn't seem like it's going to work with Frank tonight. Um, yeah. So just so you know, uh, Frank's place, it's called Brax. It's at 1280 Belmont Street in Brockton. Yep. Uh, right at 123. Uh, definitely check it out. His burgers are phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. He's got two my two two of my favorites. One's called the A and T Burger. The other one is called the French Onion Soup Burger. I'm telling you, it'll change your life. So if you get a chance, get over to Frank's place and try out his burgers. 
and we'll certainly try to get him back uh, on another night. So moving on from there. So community support. So it sounds to me like you've gotten, you both have gotten a ton of community support, which really warms my heart. And it really it was one of my motivations for having you all on tonight was making people aware of your situations. So people, people are more likely to want to patronize your, want to, you know, patronize your, your business and spend their money if they understand exactly what it is you're going through. And you're, and you're both pointing, painting a, a great picture of, of what it is you're going through. So it looks to me, because I can see you also have your employees have been, um, uh, people that are clearly working for you or, or go to your businesses quite a bit are, are chiming in here. What do you think your employees need to hear as far as, again, like you said about family, is there a big thank you that you want to give them? Anything like that? You know, like maybe tell, tell everybody how you're interacting with your employees and letting them know that how special they are to you. So go ahead, Neil. That's the, the, that's an emotional question for me, Dean. Um, you know, we've been around for a long time, and we have uh, a lot of people that have been with us a long time, 20-plus years, 25 years, 27 years, and these people are like family to us. And um, they have to know that we have their back. We, they have to know that they, we're going to be there for them. Um, that's what leadership is all about, letting the people that, that know that are part of your family, that are part of your team, that you got their back, that if someone you know comes after them, you're going to protect them, and you're going to do whatever it takes to protect their jobs and their families. We're not just fighting for McGuire's, and we're not just fighting for Deeds. We're fighting for everyone's family that works there. We're not just fighting for Frank and Frank's, Frank's family. We're fighting for all those employees and a way of life, and, and they have to have the confidence, and they have to know that myself and my partners as owners are going to do everything we possibly can to protect what we have built. We've built something that means something to people, that means something to people in the community. You can see it in the comments tonight about the way people are responding. And, and you're going to be there for them, and you're going to be there for those people because that's what life is. It's like it's like the blizzard of 78 when everyone got bombed in. You, you shoveled your neighbor's driveway, and you ran and, and picked up a loaf of bread for the old lady on the corner because she couldn't get up. You've got to be there for people, and you've got to be there for the people that are there for you because without them, you are absolutely nothing. Yeah, McGuire's is a restaurant, but McGuire's has 44 employees that work there and support their families and pay their rent and send their kids to school and buy cars. And it, that's what it's all about. It's, it's just about people and community and helping each other out. And these are the times where you've got to come together um, and, and, and buy local and support independent local businesses because that's what is the backbone of this country. Joe, what's yeah, good I mean, you, my friend? Great, great so, thoughts, Neil. You know, for 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 us to be around for three years, um, you know, most of my staff is the same staff that we opened up with. Um, none of my staff has left because of they're unhappy working for me or for the business. They left because they've had other opportunities or moved away or, or what have you. Um, without my staff, I wouldn't be as successful as I am right now. You know, honestly, sometimes I'm, I'm hard to work for because I want everything to be perfect. I want everything to be great. I want everybody to come back. And you know what? I want to be the best. That's that's what it comes down to. I have that drive and I just want to be good. And I want everybody to be good at what they're doing as well. So, you know, it's hard. And I put that out sometimes. And, you know, a lot of the stress lately of, of seeing the prices go up, seeing how much we're getting charged for things, things breaking, things having to be fixed, uh, the money that we spend that they don't see, you know, causes a lot of stress on on 
us as business owners. So, you know, it's hard to be happy, go lucky all day long with everything that's going on. But my staff keeps me happy. My staff keeps me driving. My staff keeps me in business. Um, you know, biggest thing I can say is thank you to them for sticking by me through everything that's gone on over the past year and a half. There's been a lot of ups and downs and they all stuck by my side. They've all been there for Deegs. They've all been there for me. They've all been there for Sandra. And it's amazing to have the small family that I have that keeps my business going. So definitely want to say thank you to all of them that work for me. That's amazing. So let's talk about something fun. So we're down in the last few minutes here. Your three favorite dishes to make, Neil. What are the dishes that, that, that <laughs> what are the things that you're known for and what makes you happy when you're cooking? Because I, I don't know, you know, like I'm not a chef, but I do dabble. And it's just something that about making a dish, like starting it from the beginning and seeing it through to the final product that's just magical. So tell us, what does that for you? Wow. Do you want it at my house or at my restaurant? Because it's the two, they're two different animals. All right. How about we do at least one for each, and then the third one, you do you you go where you want with it. Go ahead. Oh, oh, okay. So you're coming to my house for dinner. I'm going to make a nice chia pino seafood stew, uh, and maybe some chicken cacciatore. I love chicken cacciatore, but the old-fashioned Italian way with the chicken thighs, and you and you you know you brown them and you simmer them and the peppers and the onions, and it just cooks and cooks and cooks. And while that's going on, I'm going to do a nice seafood stew with some shrimp and some mussels and some lobster, a little fresh garlic and some big crusty bread. Nice bottle of Italian red wine. You're gonna come over. You'll have a big, you know, a big bowl of the, the the cacciatore and a big bowl of chiapino and some crusty bread and some Italian wine and boom, you're ready to go. That's kind of like my favorite thing to cook. Although I do love a good steak on the grill. There's nothing like a bone and ribeye. That's probably one of my favorite things. I make that for my wife every Sunday. We do a bone and ribeye, a little roasted kidneys. Uh, McGuire's. We have so many great things at McGuire's. Our number one most popular item is the honey hot chicken tenderloin. Uh, boneless, uh, little I've chicken. seen that people have been mentioning the honey hots. Yeah, oh, they, yeah, and the fried. I just saw a, a, a comment come up for fried clams. We run those as special all the time. But the honey hots, we sell about a thousand pounds of those every week. Um, little chicken tenders, they're marinated, lightly breaded, spicy and sweet at the same time. They're moist, they're crunchy, they're just like boom, delicious. That's probably the most, that's the most popular thing at the restaurant. Um, I love, I love the big stuffed chicken. It's like, I call it wedding chicken. It's simple. It's old fashioned, but you know, I don't know something about stuffing and chicken and cranberry sauce and all that kind of stuff is, is really good. I mean, I could, I could start talking about food all day long. If you want. <laughs> hey, you and me both. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just, I just so many great stuff. The steak tips are great. I mean, you know, fried clams are good. A chicken pot pie, a pot roast. I love the comfort food that we do. We do a lot of stuff like pot roast and corned beef and chicken pot pie and old fashioned stuff. I love, what, actually one of my favorite things to make is my grandmother's chicken soup. We use what they call schmaltz, which is, you know, rendered chicken fat. And you start with that, a little bit of garlic and some, you know, celery, carrots, onions, and you throw the chickens and you let it simmer all day. Every time I make my grandmother's chicken soup, I think of my grandmother, I think of my family. And it just makes me, I don't know, to me, food is wrapped up in memories. Uh, and it's like you know, the people that taught me how to cook and the people that I loved in my life and all the recipes that they cooked. And you, make, you start cooking with that and you feel that love and you feel that passion come out. And it's like when you put that plate in front of someone with the love and the passion that you put into it and it goes down in front of somebody and they, 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 they take a bite of it. And that, that you know that, you know, you talk, how is everything? And they say, oh, still, you know, it's great. It's like you've taken the love that you have for something and you've, you've, you've given almost kindness and, and a passion to someone else. And that's the best thing about food. Your passion is oozing through the screen, Neil. So <laughs> I'm going to go to Joe 
and I'm gonna, you know, Joe. I want to feel your passion. So, so give it to me. What, what are your three? What are your three dishes that really make you proud to do what you do and and bring out your passion? So the number one thing that we do that I wanted to do was the corned beef hash. So my corned beef hash is done traditionally in the best way that I can. I brine my own briskets. I boil them. I shred them. And then we chop them up. We add it with the potatoes, the onions, the seasoning, and then slow cook that down. And then it goes back on the grill. It's, you know, it's a three-day process just to make the corned beef hash Mm -hmm. that I serve. And take that corned beef hash and put it in some egg roll wrappers and deep fry that. And and then you have our corned beef hash egg rolls. So, yeah, exactly. The the corned beef hash egg rolls came up as just playing around one day. I had some egg roll wrappers and I was trying to figure out what to do. We're simmering the corned beef hash. I'm like, let me throw this in here and see what happens. And it went on as a special for a year till I reprinted the menu. And now we're going through, you know, I go through over a hundred pounds of corned beef per week now. Um, you know, it's, it's one of my favorite dishes of my, when it's cooking in the kitchen and you can smell it and it's boiling, it smells like my grandmother's house from back in the day. It's, it's just amazing. Um, and then the other thing that uh, has been ramping up in popularity that took a little while to take off was uh, my chicken and waffles. The chicken and waffles, um, I mean, even with Uber right now, chicken and waffles is flying out the door right now. Um, I do a brine chicken thigh, then I double bread it, deep fry that with our in-house buttermilk biscuit, uh, buttermilk waffles, and then I make a vanilla maple cream sauce that's made with uh, Venetian uh, vanilla beans, uh, heavy cream, and real maple syrup. Um, it all goes together. Absolutely amazing. Uh, it's, and those are the two dishes that like really stand us apart from other places. Uh, and then if you come into my house, I'm going to make some seared scallops with some corn risotto, a little bacon butter sauce. Um, you know, th- that's the kind of stuff that I enjoy doing. And when Neil was uh, talking about the Chipino, brought back a lot of memories of uh, living out in San Francisco when I was out there for nine years. I was out on the West coast for nine years. And, uh, when I first moved to San Francisco, Chipino was, uh, invented or basically brought together in san francisco because uh all the fishermen would come in off the wharf and it was called chip in chip in so they would throw in their catch that they had a little bit of everything and that's where the chipino came from and uh so when he was talking about that brought back some great memories as well can i just tell you guys this is probably my 26th show i have not smiled this much on any show Man, I feel like a, like a kid in a candy store right now just listening to this because I am a big foodie. Um, Joe actually knows me. He's seen me. But, Neil, I don't think I don't, I've seen you before, but I don't think we've really, we've really ever met. I'm a big guy. So, <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> so, I always, I, you know, I joke around about this sometimes. Like, you don't get to be the size that I am unless you enjoy food and you can make a little bit of it. So, here's what I want to do. When this is all over and, you know, we can, we can, we can convene and be social again, I would love for maybe the, the four of us, you know, Frank, Neil, Joe, maybe we get together and, you know, maybe we, maybe we, we have some food and we just kind of talk in person. Because yeah, that'd be great. Neil and Frank said it earlier, I, I miss that personal interaction of being able to go out and interact with my service and, uh, and joke around and, 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 and laugh with my wife and, and, and. Maybe maybe laugh about maybe how we were able to pawn our kids off on somebody for a little while. So now there's something else <laughs> problem. We can go and, and enjoy life a little bit. Um, so I mean, if that's something you would be interested in, I yeah. would love to get yeah. because I think that you know the networking piece of this show is something that's powerful too. Now you now you know each other and you establish a rapport, and I hope that you guys can all work together and do what you can to support one another as a result of this. 
I know what I'm getting. I know what I'm getting. Take out tomorrow. I'm going. I'm going to Joe's and then I'm going to Frank's. I'm getting some cash. Yeah, thanks, Dale. It's uh, no, that's the thing. We need to get best practices from what each other are doing. I mean, he's been in the business for thirty years. Obviously, he's doing something right. So, if I can watch him and learn a little bit something from him, then it's going to help me out in my future. Well, oh, there was there, somebody had a great comment earlier. This is just a thought. This was not a plan. Somebody mentioned something about a supply the Y burger. Bring it. So, <laughs> so I just throw that out there. You know. <laughs> You know, if you if you're looking to name something and it's, it's got to be big, it's got to be hearty, and it's got to be a little unorthodox, and that would be uh, something that would would be. Dean, I remember one of my uh, my Irma when uh, we first met. Uh, when I first opened up the shop and you were coming in and getting uh, getting some food and you were starting the keto and I was doing the keto burger for you, yep. we started talking and I remember you were at the counter ordering and you got a call and you you had to run out. Yeah. To go to go take a call. And you came back about 20 minutes later for your burger. And I felt bad that it was sitting around. So I actually made you a fresh one. And that's uh, pretty much what, right in the beginning when we first started opening up when and then we've uh, always social and talk since then. But I, I, I was laughing at that point. Well, uh, and I and I appreciated that. Those are the little things <laughs> that people don't forget. And that's what what kept me coming back, because that that extra touch you put in there, you just being a human being. Neil yes. talked about early, like the human piece of 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 what you do really is the difference between you and the next guy or gal in their restaurant so for guys i i hate to do this but we're, we're actually past time we're over time here Oops. Um, really quick in about 30 seconds or less um neil do you have any potting shots how can people reach you how can they follow your business mcguire's bar and grow we're at 503 foundry street which is route 106 in easton 508-230-88 is our phone number. If you want to do takeout for curbside pickup, you can find us at mcguiresbarandgrill.com or on Facebook and Instagram at, at mcguiresbag. All right. Thank you very much. Joe, what do you got for us? How can we reach you? So uh, we're at 1261 Park Street in Stoughton, right over the Brockton line. Uh, we're open Tuesday through Sunday, 5.30 a.m. Uh, opening time during the week. Close at 2 p.m., uh burgers breakfast everything served all day long if you want a burger at 7 a.m you can come in and get a burger it's all good um you can find us at deegsdiner.com uh we also use the toast app so if uh, you can order online and save some time and we have our pickup window call ahead and drive up to the window and your food will be ready amazing and both of you are on facebook yes your businesses are on facebook yes we yes, are sir. all right gentlemen thank you so much for this this has been an amazing show it's been enlightening, and quite frankly, it's been uplifting at a time where we need more positivity and we need more people to show resiliency and a can-do attitude. And, yes. uh, and you both have done that for everybody tonight. So thank you for that. Thank you personally. And again, I can't wait to, uh, to get together with you guys in person at some point and, and, and celebrate what we've done here tonight and hopefully the awareness we've brought to our, our local restaurant, restaurants in our uh, neighborhoods. So thank, thank you for having me, Dave. Thank All you right, very much. pleasure. All right, Thank everybody. You. So I'm gonna wrap it up. This is the last. Uh, this is the last bit of this episode. Thank everybody so much for taking time away from their family to join us. Come back next week. We're gonna have more great content for you. Check us out on all of the platforms you see at the bottom of your screen. And as always, hashtag supply the why. Good night, everybody. Good night, guys. Thank you. Bye.